you have a Bible, let me get you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 is so where we're going to be is we're going to dive into uh, this glorious doctrine of election, biblical election, uh, this afternoon. But before we do, let me ask God for his help again. God, thank you again for this afternoon. Thank you for how uh, you are already working by your spirit through uh, the reading of your word, through the praying of your word, through the singing of your word. Uh, and now I just ask, Lord, uh, by your grace, that you will work through the preaching of your word, uh, that uh, you would help me to, to preach your word clearly, faithfully, uh, for your glory alone. God, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease pray, Lord, that as your word is proclaimed, uh, that it would do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. Help us to, to learn. Help us to, yeah, to be convicted, to, to repent, and to, to yeah, find joy uh, and satisfaction in your word this afternoon. For the saints, Lord, I pray that you would edify us all. For those who may not know you yet, Lord, I pray that you would indeed uh, grant saving faith for the first time through this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is God's word, amen? Amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes this afternoon, uh, the main idea uh, will go something like this. If you're taking notes, here's the, the main idea, the kind of overarching theme of this passage or this text is that God the Father has blessed us in Christ, chosen us in Christ, all for the praise of his glorious grace. That's what's happening here in this text. God the Father has blessed us in Christ, chosen us in Christ, all for the praise of his glorious grace. And the main idea is going to be broken down uh, to serve as our outline this afternoon. So here's point one. You are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We'll see that in verse three. Point two. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We'll have some subpoints there. And number three. Your response in light of all of this, your response should be praise. Should be praise. So number one. Let's look at that one. You are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Look back with me, uh, starting at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first off, the verse lets us know that God is to be blessed. Right? He is to be blessed. That word blessed here means to be praised. That God is to be praised. Why is he to be praised? Well, it's because he's God. And that's the appropriate response due to God. Worship, praise, adoration. 
So then the question is, well, well, who is God? Well, God is holy. He is the holy, sovereign, ruler, and creator of everyone and everything. So Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God existed, and everyone and everything came into existence by God. So God was in the beginning. He was the start. There was nothing before him. Everything else got its start because of God. So that's what Genesis 1 is telling us. So this is what the rest of Genesis chapters 1 through 2 teases out, that God created the day and the night, uh, that he created the waters and the dry land, the animals, and so forth and so forth. Then he created Adam and Eve. So our first parents, the first man and woman, uh, in his image, after his likeness, and every human being born since then, everyone in this room, every human being all throughout the world, born in the image of God after his likeness. So Genesis 1, 26 and 28 speaks to this. It says, then God said, <clears throat> let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Here's, here's what this means, right, for, for all of us, is that if we are looking for a purpose and worth and dignity, we don't have to look any further but God. Yeah. God is where we find our worth. God is where we find our purpose. God is where we find our dignity. That's for, for both man and woman, boy and girl, all having the same worth, dignity, and purpose that God has given us and has granted to us. Then he also tells us here that, that, that man has dominion over these things, right? That God gave dominion over things that he created, that he is sovereignly ruling over. He, gave, gave, he shared that dominion, if you will. He gave dominion over these things uh, to, to man, to woman. And he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, right? To, to, to create more image bearers, right? So that others can image all throughout the world. That is what we were made for. That's what we were created for, right? To, to worship God and to encourage others to worship God, to see other folks imaging him. This is what everyone and everything was created for, to bless God, to praise God. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You catch that, that the, the heavens above speak to the glory, the gloriousness of God. That, that everything that was created testifies about who God is and what he has done. Psalm 67, 1 through 5, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4. 
Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and God the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So I know there are many believers here in our midst, but I, I just want to remind us all that this is what you were made for. You were made to praise God. You were made to worship God. That's your purpose here on earth, to make much of God. And for anyone here who's not a Christian yet, you may not have known this, but that's what you were created for too. You too were created to praise and worship God. You were made to worship him. This is why you exist. This is why you exist. Did you know that this afternoon? This is your purpose. This is why God made you to worship him. What happened is, is that our first parents were made to worship him and everyone that came from them were made to worship God. But instead of them worshiping God, they worshiped themselves. They fell. They, their, their, their worship became displaced. And everyone else since then, worship has been displaced. We've all been born with a bent towards God. We've all been born with, with yeah, uh, opposition. We are opposed to God and worshiping him. So to the Christian and non-Christian alike, your purpose is not wrapped up in worldly pursuits, but in the one who is worthy of your pursuit. That's what your purpose is wrapped up in. Not worldly pursuits, not chasing money, not chasing the next job, not chasing relationships. All these things aren't bad things in and of themselves, but you were created, you were made to chase God, to worship God, because he is worthy of your pursuit. Continuing in verse 3, if you look down with me, in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, we see that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what this means is that this is a nod to the teaching of Scripture regarding the Trinity, right? Meaning that God is one in three. That there is one God who exists in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Right? Although we see in this text here right now that only two persons of the Trinity are mentioned here, but we see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned later in the passage. So in verse 13 referring to his sealing work of those who put their trust in Jesus for salvation. So again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity. And it's through this, uh, through this Jesus, uh, that bless the Father, has blessed every follow follower in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So it's through Jesus that we find, yeah, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. The spiritual blessings here are referring to the glorious aspects of our salvation, right? They're referring to, to the glorious aspects of our salvation that we'll see detailed out as we continue on throughout the points. But something that I don't want us to miss, don't want us to miss this, is that the spiritual blessings come through our unity in Christ. They come through our unity in Christ. One translation puts it this way. It reads, verse three is this, it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Basically, what is being said here is everything that the Son has spiritually, you and I get. We're, here, here, here. So we're all like the little brother and little sister in the family. And in, in this case, for Christians, uh, we really are because Jesus is told to us in scriptures to be our elder brother. But we're all like that little brother or little sister who, when the older brother gets celebrated for a meal, uh, for a particular accomplishment or something along those lines, you and I also get our grub on too because of our being united to the older brother. You catch that? Because we're united to the older brother, we too also get to join in on the celebration. But in a more grander sense, in a more bigger sense, Jesus made it possible for us to experience the presence of God now. And he is in the presence of God because he is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, the God-man. And through his perfect sacrifice, he has made a way for all to receive him to one day be in the presence of God forever. I like how Dr. Marita uh, puts it. He says, in thinking about this verse, he says, Paul speaks of being blessed in the heavens, a phrase only used in Ephesians. I think this gets at the already, not yet aspect of our salvation. Now we are linked with the heavenly realms because of our relationship with God. We have the benefits of salvation now, but we also anticipate them in the future when we will praise him with all nations. Essentially what's going on here is that what Paul is getting at is that for, for those who are saved here now, you are experiencing salvation. You have been saved. But there is a future aspect of our salvation that will only be fully realized on that day. Because right now we still live in a broken world, right? Full of sin full of pain, full of death, full of grief, full of hurt, sickness, disease. This is where we are at, but we are saved in that. We are saved and we are living in that as Christians now, all journeying towards that one day when those things will be no more. So it's an already but not yet type of salvation, and that's what Paul is getting at here. And so, this blessing that we see here in chapter 1, verse 3, is available to you, non-Christian. If you are here and you are not a Christian, that blessing, all the spiritual blessings in Christ, can be made available to you as well. And the only way that they can be made available to you is this, by this way, is if you agree with God that you are a sinner. If you agree with God that you are a sinner, agree with God and agree with his word that you are fallen, that you were created in his image after his likeness, that you were made to worship him, but you have instead chosen to worship everyone else and everything else. And because of your displaced worship, your relationship with God is broken. And because your relationship with God is broken, if he were to judge you in your sin, the Bible tells us that he would cast you away from his presence for all of eternity into hell. And, and hell is bad is because God isn't there. 
never to have an opportunity to respond by God's grace to his mercy and his love right now in Christ. But praise God that the news doesn't stop there. It could have, but it doesn't. God, in his mercy and his love, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, who is God, who came and lived a perfect, sinless life. This Jesus never sinned. In the way that Adam, our first parent, our first father, in the way that he failed, Jesus succeeded, fully obeying God, never sinning, never breaking the law. But he was treated as a criminal. He was sent to the cross to die, to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. We treated him as a criminal. The God-man who was innocent, treated as guilty. But it was, this was all the part of God's plan to crush his son. He goes to the cross, he's crucified, he dies, he's buried in the grave, but on the third day he is raised from the dead with all power and dominion, offering life to all who would turn away from their sin and to turn to him by faith, to trust in him and believe upon him and what he has done alone. And the Bible says, guess what? Once you do that, you non-Christian can be saved. You can be forgiven of all of your sin, cleansed from past, present, and future sins. And that relationship that was once broken can, guess what, now be restored. You and God can be cool again. You can be at peace again. All because of what Christ has done. And so this is the good news that we want to offer out to you this afternoon. If you're here and you're not a Christian, may today be the day of salvation for you. Do not harden your heart. You don't know if the next minute or next moment is promised to you. It's not. Hear God's voice of mercy now and receive his mercy in his son and what he has done for you. You would like to learn more about what that might mean for you? Come see me after the service. It will be my joy to talk with you, talk to any Christian brother or sister here uh, after the service. I know it would be their joy to talk with you as well about what it would look like for you to start your relationship with Jesus. We want to see you, yeah, worshiping God, doing what God has intended for us all to do, living out the purpose that God had intended. So I've already alluded to the spiritual blessings, but what do these spiritual blessings consist of? Well, it's the other particulars of our salvation listed in the verses to follow, which then leads to point two, right? So that was point one. Uh, you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, right? The, the blessed one blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, number two, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So Christians here in the room, you me were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Look at uh, verse 4 with me. Verse 4 it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What Paul is doing here is he's Revealing, he's, he's uncovering, he's showing a beautiful teaching in Scripture. And that teaching is election. 
election. So if you're taking notes, again, that's point two, and here's a few subpoints. Number one, what is biblical election? What is biblical election? Well, here's how theologian Wayne Grudem defines the doctrine of election. He says, election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. This is what biblical election is. Again, just to, to read this definition again, which is a helpful definition, election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account for of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. This is a beautiful doctrine. It's a beautiful teaching. Doctrine just means teaching. It's a beautiful teaching in scripture. And at the same time, this may be a hard teaching for some of us. Maybe a hard teaching, maybe something hard for you to wrap your mind around. Because some of you were, were or are just like how I was when I first heard of the doctrine of election. When I first heard of the doctrine of election, I was opposed to it. I didn't, I didn't yeah, I was, I, I was opposed to it. And you may be like how I was. I was confused as to how God, a loving God, to be loving in choosing some unto salvation and not choose others. You had real questions like how I had real questions. Thinking about, well, what about my family members who don't know the Lord? What about some of my friends who don't know the Lord? Who aren't walking with Jesus? Are they not chosen? How come, how come I've been chosen or other Christians have been chosen? But these folks aren't chosen. You had real questions. You may have real questions like that this afternoon. I think a helpful way to process those types of questions and hard passages all throughout the Bible when you come to them are in these few ways. One, being reminded of the character of the author of the book. Being reminded of the book of the Bible the character of the author of the book of the Bible, and that's God. Being reminded of God's character, that he's good, and he does nothing but good. He does everything perfectly, that he is love. And every word written down in the Bible comes from a loving, holy, gracious, good God. So that's one, being reminded of God's character. So. Every word that's on the pages of scripture were inspired by a loving, good God. Two, similarly, every word written is inspired by God and it is true. It is true. And because we know this to be true, his word doesn't contradict itself. There are no errors and it does what it was purposed to do, right? Therefore, every part of it Every part of the Bible, every word, every, every punctuation mark, everything in the Bible uh, was, was, yeah, was written to us, was given to us to be able to read, to be able to study, to be able to meditate on, to be able to memorize, 
and to not just hold it, to hoard it for ourselves, but to then share it with others. So every part of the Bible is, is meant for our edification. It's meant for us to learn. It's meant for us to grow. It's meant for us to obey. It's meant for us to tell others. Number three, it's what the Bible teaches. Very simply put, it's what the Bible teaches. Election is what the Bible teaches. So for some struggling when it comes to the teaching of election, you have to remember these principles. And as it relates to the Bible's teaching, here are a few other places where we find this, this beautiful teaching of election. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5, you might want to jot these down so that you can also check them out later if you choose. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4-5, it says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake so that's the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica here's another uh, passage from the same book but but a different book or the chapter rather uh, so so 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 13 through 14 it says but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord. Because what? God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 13 through 14. Here's another from the gospel. So the gospel of John. Here's the Lord Jesus speaking. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So that's the Lord Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus here in John 6, 37 through 40. So God didn't elect anyone based on looking at their resumes before him. He didn't choose anyone by, by looking at their resumes before him. Right? It's, it's not like NBA tryouts or NFL combine or something along those lines where, where the coaches and the staff, they're looking at the person's skills beforehand. They're looking at their catalog. They're looking at the video that they sent in of like, yo, this this. This brother, he can hoop, he can bang it, he can do all of this. They, they not, they're not looking at any of those different things and then making a choice. It's rather like this. It's rather like we're all like the kid who was picked last on a team for a pickup game. That's all of us. We're the, we're the, we're the, we're the last person to be picked up for a pickup game, whether it's on basketball or whatever sport. We're the last to be picked. And the captain of the team chose you not based on anything that you did or would do. It's the quite opposite. You were chosen at the mercy of the captain. 
You were chosen by sheer grace. This is the idea that, that none of us as Christians were chosen on the basis of anything that we did or could do. We're all chosen by this glorious God who has a perfect plan and a perfect purpose and will and by his choice. So notice that the text again shows our unity in Christ. If you look back down in the text, notice that it shows our unity in Christ in that we were chosen in him. We were chosen in Jesus. And we were chosen before the foundation of the world. So again, so in eternity past, God chose you, Christian. Before the heavens and the earth were created, God elected you, Christian, unto salvation. You didn't choose God. He chose you. And the only reason you responded by faith and repentance in Christ is because of God's sovereign election. That's the only way. God's sovereign election, him choosing, when you heard the gospel, responded by faith and repentance, all because of God's sovereign plan to save you. Not because you were checking for him, not because you were looking for him. But he was looking for you. He chose you. He saved you. Jesus, speaking this to the disciples then and, and us today, John 15, verse 16, he says this. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Did you hear that? None of us can come to God unless we are drawn by God. And Jesus will raise us up on that last day. John 10, 3-4, talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. It says, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So sheep, you've heard his voice and you know his voice. You're following his lead. The only way that you can do that is if the shepherd made himself known to you. If he gave you saving faith, revealed himself to you, put his spirit in you. That's the only way that you can be quickened, awakened to his grace. It's all of God's work, his sovereign work in salvation. So two things. Before we move on to a couple of more sub-points and then the last point, two things that I believe the doctrine of election, the teaching of election, the teaching of God choosing some to save, two things that I think it should do for believers. Number one, it should humble us. It should humble us. Why? God chose you. God chose me. 
And he chose us not based on who we are, how much money we have, how much less money we have, how much this or how much that, how good we are at this or how good we are at that. He didn't choose us for any of those different things. He didn't choose us on the basis of who we are or anything that we could do. He chose us in his mercy, in his grace. And because of that, Christian, that should cause you to have continual praise. That should, that should cause you to have moments, if you, if you aren't already, having moments where you just break out into praise. To be reminded of your salvation. That at one time you weren't saved and that you were headed to hell. But God quickened you, awakened you to the truth of his love in Christ. And he saved you. And he put you on the right path to him. I should make you praise. Some of y'all missed our praise moment just now. We should be praising God. Amen. That he has saved us. Again, not on the basis of anything that we could do. Number two. So, so one, it should humble you that God chose you, that he saved you. Two, it should also fuel our evangelism. It should fuel our evangelism. Here's what I mean. God chooses and God commissioned us to go and tell everyone about Jesus. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? Where the Lord Jesus gives us the great commission that's for all Christians to go and tell others about Jesus. This doesn't mean that, so in, in, in God's choosing, in God's electing those to be saved, this does not mean that we just sit back. We just cross our arms and we're like, you know what? God has this in the bag anyway. He's going to save whom he chooses anyway. He's going to save all of the folks who are elect anyway. And that means we don't need to go out and tell others about Jesus. No, it's quite opposite. We're actually still called. We're still commanded to go and tell others about Jesus. We're not meant to just sit back and chill. We're meant to go. Go to the nations. Go across the street and tell others about Christ. Because we don't know who all the elect are. God does. And God just calls us to be faithful. To proclaim the gospel. And trust him to bring about salvation fruit in those whom he has chosen to save. So, with humbled hearts and with an emboldenment with the gospel, we go and tell others about Jesus in light of this truth of election. So, sub-point two, God's purpose in choosing us, that we should be holy and blameless. Look back down with me at verse four, second part of verse four, you'll see it on the screen as well. It says, so, so in light of all of this, God choosing us, what was the purpose of this? Well, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That we should be holy and blameless before him. God chose us as Christians, as believers, to be holy and to be blameless before him. This is the goal of election. This is the goal of his glorious choosing. So he chose us and he made us holy at conversion. So for, for those of us in here who are Christians, God has made you holy through Christ. He has made you holy, but he's also continuing to make us holy in that it's this word called sanctification, which means we're being sanctified, which means we're being made more like Jesus, right? 
We still have sin in our lives. But the idea of it is that, is that, yeah, we, we don't sin less, but we should sin less. Otherwise, we're not sinless, excuse me, we're not sinless, but we should sin less, right? That's sanctification. So this is what, what God has been doing. And holy means to be set apart, right? To, to be set apart as he is, to be pure. And then to be blameless, which means to be without fault. To be found with no spots or blemish. This is what God delights in doing for his people. God is more devoted to our holiness than you and I are. He's more devoted to our holiness. More than you and I are. Again, this doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for holiness. So don't hear me and I say that. No, 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 we should. We should strive for holiness. We should desire to want to be more like Jesus. Pursue that. You should. I do. But be reminded that this is God's purpose for you, Christian. And he will fulfill it. He is fulfilling it, and he will fulfill it. Philippians 2, 12 to 13, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that's Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Another passage in Thessalonians, so 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We serve a faithful God. He is carrying out his plans in you and through you. Philippians 1.6, a familiar verse, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has made you holy. And he is continuing to make you holy. Number three, sub-point number three. God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 5. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What is predestined? These are, I know we've been, yeah, looking at a lot of big words, crazy words in the Bible, good words in the Bible. What is predestined? Well, Paul tells us basically in another way how God chose us unto salvation. This is another way of looking at our salvation, that God chose us unto salvation. Predestined is another way to speak of God choosing unto salvation of some. This time he tells us that God in love predestined us for adoption. So the word predestined just means God foreordained, right? He foreordained it or he willed it beforehand. He preplanned it beforehand, before creation. So what did he preplan? What did he foreordain? What did he predestine? That those of us today, those who have been saved all throughout the years, that we would repent of our sins and believe in Jesus by faith. And that we would be a part of God's family. This is what he preordained, what he has preplanned, what he has willed beforehand. 
that those of us who have responded to saving faith would respond to saving faith. That's what he pre-put. So we can't dig into all of the particulars or the glorious realities of this text that I'm about to mention, but I would want to encourage us all to read this passage uh, tonight or sometime this week and have conversations around the, the dinner table. So kids here in the room, students here in the room, uh, yeah, ask, ask mommy and daddy, uh, what does it mean uh, to be predestined from Romans 9? So Romans 9 is your homework. Uh, read Romans 9 sometime today, this week, and then have some good conversations uh, surrounding it. All right? What is biblical adoption? Well, biblical adoption means this, is that we were once not God's children. So, so it is not true that everyone is God's child. Not true. It is true that everyone has been created in the image of God. It is true that we are all made in the likeness of God. But the only way that we become children of God is upon salvation. Upon believing Jesus and receiving Jesus and receiving the Father. He becomes our Father. So we were once not God's children. But he adopted us into his family and made us his sons and daughters. This is what biblical adoption is. Simply put. Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, to become a child of God, have to receive Christ be adopted into his family. So God adopted those of us who are Christians. So that's point two. That God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Here's lastly, number three. In light of all this truth, in light of all of what we've been thinking about thus far, point three, your response should be praise. Your response should be praise. Listen to the last part of verse 5 and verse 6. It says, and it should be back on the screen as well, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Notice lastly, that God did all of this according to the purpose of his will, and to the praise of his glorious grace. He didn't do it for your will. For my will, he did it for his will, for his namesake, for his glorious grace. So we're not studying the rest of these passages, although we have. Like this was our first sermon series and we looked at Ephesians. But I just want to highlight how God is devoted to his own glory. Just in these next few verses, right? Uh, in this same chapter. So if you look at the end of verse 5, if you look at your Bibles, end of verse 5. It says, he did it according to the purpose of his will. Right? You see that? 
Then you look at Ephesians 1, 7. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, he redeemed us according to the riches of his grace. Again, see, he did this according to his grace. Verse 9. He made known the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You see that? That he did this. This was something that he planned, that he had set forth in Christ. It was according to his will that he set forth in Christ. Verse 11. He predestined us according to his own purpose, according to the counsel of his own will. So he saves for his glory for the glory of his great name. I love these passages here in this chapter that I'm about to read. Uh, Ezekiel 36, that really uh, drives us home as well, makes this clear. So Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament, verse 22, this is God talking to the house of Israel, talking to his people, talking to his people today. It says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I, listen to this, this is God, listen to this, listen to the God-centeredness of this, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. Continues on, he says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. See that? I mean, just even in those few verses so far, you see that it is God doing this on the basis of his great name, for his own namesake, for his own will, for his own purposes. God continues in showing how God centered his work of salvation is in Verses to follow. <clears throat> so verses 25 through 27. It says. It says. <clears throat> I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He ends then in verse 32, he says, if you didn't catch it in the beginning, catch it now. He says, verse 32 of Ezekiel 36, he says, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. So again, it's a lot packed in those verses. I encourage you to check this out as well at some, at some point. Okay, Ezekiel 36, beautiful passage that speaks to God working out his salvation plan for his own namesake. Peep that when you can. Study that when you can. So again, he didn't do any of this for us. He did it all for himself. He did it all for his glory. For his namesake. And in light of that, when you think of all of what he has done, and our, what we benefit from that, and what we receive from that is him, that should then make us praise him all the more. 
our response to biblical election, to God, to the teaching of scripture as a whole, and what he has done in salvation, should make us break out into praise, in worship unto him for what he has done in his goodness, in his kindness, to save those that he has saved and to keep saving those whom he wills and pleased to save. This is a glorious truth. This is an amazing truth. Praise God for who he is. Praise God for what he has done. I mean, Paul even starts out by blessing God. That's, that's what we looked at in verse 3 in the beginning of, of the sermon. That we should bless God in the same way that Paul starts out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he calls us to do. So praise God for his glorious grace. This is what you and I were made for. To praise him, to worship him. This is what we'll do for those of us who are Christian. This is what we'll do for all of eternity when we are in his presence forever and ever. So in conclusion, as Brian comes on up, in conclusion, Christian, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, elected, chosen unto salvation, for your glory? For your namesake? No. All for his glory. All for his namesake. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this glorious truth of election that you have yeah, chosen those who you will to save. And God, I know this could be a bit heady. A lot of big words, a lot of details, a lot of different things. I pray, God, that for all of us, that you will remind us, yeah, Lord, of, of your work in salvation, the gloriousness of your salvation, the bigness of your salvation, of yourself. Help us to leave out of here, yeah, Lord, just more enamored by what you have done. And for any of us who don't know you yet, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you. And that you would indeed save them. That you would indeed put your spirit in them. Cause them to walk in your ways. Not for their own glory, but for your glory, for your name. I pray, Lord, that we would go throughout this week motivated even more as Christians to share about this glorious truth. Help us to be fueled in our evangelism this week. Help us to be motivated to proclaim Christ more and more this week, this day, this week. For your glory, for our good, for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.